Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we've been in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, Davin Oskvig is back with more thrilling tales of 100-mile races and uh, 10-mile races. Davin and I chat a little bit about variety in running, the strange concept of resisting races and uh, sticking to a yearly race plan, and in general, what his 216 and 217 uh, will look like. Two, 16, and 7. That's how you deal with the aughts, folks. You just erase that zero. Uh, yeah, Davin and I talked about 2016 and 2017, with the highlights being Oil Creek and Sulphur Springs. So you'll hear about his uh, two wins and 200 milers. Pretty good. You may recognize Davin from either episode 15 or 16 uh, of this podcast. It was called Find a Different Gear. It was right after Davin's last Oil Creek race. We'll put it in the show notes. You don't need to really know. But you could always go back and look at Davin's runner page or look at uh, season one episode page on the website. There's all sorts of ways to find it. Anyways, uh, you might also recognize Davin from the newly released Beast Coast film series. Beast Coast is a trail film series by Ron Hirkins Jr. aiming to highlight runners and stories and communities all along the Beast Coast. Episode 1, which is called Striking Oil, features Davin. So we'll also have that uh, linked in the show notes. Running Inside Out podcast, you know, this podcast, the one you're listening to, is a uh, very proud co-sponsor of the film series, along with uh, Trails Rock, Fleet Feet Sports, Rochester, and Yellow Jacket Racing. It's all, uh, you know, big community-supported effort, uh, helping Ron see through his vision. So, while the podcast brings you trail stories for your ear holes, Beast Coast brings you stories for your eye holes. It's a perfect match, if you ask me. I'm very happy that the podcast can, in some small way, help a part of this project, which in itself is a piece of the Rochester community. So, parts and pieces and parts, just building on and with each other. So, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, Please, if you haven't seen episode one of Beast Coast, you probably should. There will be a link in the show notes for you to check it out. You can also check out and support the creation of the series at the main page, beastcoastfilm.com. So, those show notes, again, ooh, where are they? They're at runningincideoutpodcast.com slash 046. You'll find them there. Um, one last thing, Davin is an ambassador for Features, Honey Stinger, and On Running, which I gotta say, not that they're sponsoring me or anything like that, but I got features on my feet right now, and I think I ate my weight in Honey Stinger waffles last summer. So, they're good. Um, so, in other words, 100% of the people on this episode of the podcast use these products. So, use them and run like me, or like Davin, or just run like you, your own special you. And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Northeast Runners. So let's start at today. You know, today's a good day. 
uh, you talked me into running a 10-mile road race. Yeah, which I was talked into by a bunch of other people here uh, in, in our area, in this Buffalo area, and none of them chose to run the race. Yeah, what's that all about? I have no idea. Um, so this was, the weather ended up being really nice for this. It is historically miserable conditions and wind and, um, pretty terrible. You'd think it'd be hard to overdress for a February road race in Buffalo on the canal, but, but I managed to do it. You managed to succeed in that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and where I am in training right now is in a mileage build. I think I started speed work last week. So since the beginning of the year, just been putting miles on the legs, no speed work. And so with no speed work, I had hoped that I might be able to do this 10 mile race in 60 minutes. Um, and I managed to 59.30. So, which is, which is pretty good. Good, good for third, huh? It's good for third. And, um, and I consider, to, to show that things are progressing nicely. Right. So you hit your, you hit your goal. I hit my goal, which I, I almost hit my goal. Um, so I thought <clears throat> same thing for me. No, no. I mean, I did a little, I've been doing some speed work. I've been doing hill repeats and trying to get the cardio going, but overall I, I hadn't run 10 miles hard in a very long time. So I was like, yeah, you know, a goal would be, uh, 80 minutes. And Beagle, probably more realistic, is 90 minutes. I ran 80 minutes and six seconds. So very close. So Pretty I mean, much your A goal. I mean, that's a goal. If I was qualifying for Boston, they, they round down to the minute, right? So I, I feel like I got that. But the, uh, the, king of the, the king of the 100-mile trail races talks me into running a 10-mile road race. Right. And yeah. what my joke was, if there was only one more zero after the <laughs> distance of the race, I would have had this one in the back. <laughs> Your pacing was a little off. Yeah, a little little, <laughs> little speedy for the first bit. But um, yeah, so Buffalo road race in February, not so bad. Not so bad. And honestly, um, for our area, our trails really haven't been that choked up no. with snow too much. This hasn't been a winter that has completely forced me onto roads through the whole winter. Not that I've done a lot of trail work, but mm-hmm. I've managed to do a little here and there. Right. Well, I've done a little bit, but I've found, you know, I wanted to keep a regular pace recently. Yeah. So I've been out on the roads just, just for that reason. Well, I think you and I are in very similar s- scenarios in that this is that initial phase and, and your race is the end of May. My next big race is two weeks later so essentially our our course is very similar in that we're just trying um to get the miles in the legs right you got to learn how to go long before you can learn how to go fast right so for me june june 10th and i'm thinking you know okay i started the week after christmas and i'm thinking that's a 24 week but really those first four weeks i mean the week after christmas that's kind of a wash and then it's, you're just, you're getting going, right? You're, you're getting back to your routines. You're getting, uh, the right stuff in your bag. You're getting your schedule down. So, you know, the first four weeks were pretty good. I'm in that second four week building block, now, mm-hmm. which you said, like building some speed and stuff like that. And your first big race is going to be what? In June, I'm going to do Mohican, okay. Mohican 100. So Mohican. actually that's a week after your race. 
Right. So Mohican wants, so I'm building towards a 70 miler and you're building towards a hundred miler. Right. And not much difference. I mean, it's just, no. a, it's just a 50 K extra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody after the race today said, when's your next ultra? And I always, you know, I'll throw in a 50 K before I do, um, Mohican and I'll run a marathon in March, but that's all really just part of this progression Mm-hmm. into into the 100 miler right and so the first week of april i need a i need a pretty solid 50k so i'm putting together a podcast run right that'll sort of serve as a twisted branch part of the preview of the course i'll get a bunch of people out there that'll help me muscle through 50k from ontario county park down to conklin's gully that's 25 and then back up so oh, work. <laughs> I say work. I'm, yeah, I'm I would, considering. I would love to have you there. <laughs> I'm considering, yeah, coming out and, and doing it. I was looking at another possibility in early April, but it's one mile loops, and I just don't know if I have that many one mile loops in me. <laughs> well, you've done mine the ducks in the past, right? No, I never have. Oh, you've never had? No, the most looped thing or tightest loop that I've done is. Um, Used to be called the BPAC six hour. Okay. Yeah. Now I think it's been renamed, but that's a three point four mile mm-hmm. loop, so a bigger loop. So I've never done something with a teeny tiny little loop. Yeah. So this is an out and back, or I guess a down and an up. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of up on the way back. So that's that's what my thing is. Like that second twenty five k, that's going to be climbing training, right? Yeah. Laurel Laurel has a lot of climbing in the first. 12 miles. So I feel like if I can do that on some tired legs, but I get a bunch of people out there with me, that'll be a little bit more motivating. You know, you tend to, you tend to move a little bit more when you're around a lot of people. At least I do. Does Laurel start at like river level and then it climbs up on? Yeah. It climbs up onto the actual trail. Okay. So there's a lot of climbing in the first part, not a lot of down in it at all. So I mean, there's some, but Mm -hmm. so my thought is I got, I got to get to a a solid 50 K by the first week of April, Mm -hmm. but that feels weird, right? Because the, the race is a 70 miles. So I got to get up around, I think I, I would like to get a 40 mile run in at some point before that. Trying to think of the lengths that I've, that I've gone and we're all different as far as what works in our training bag or what is going to give us mentally having done whatever training we've done to feel as though we're prepared. And I don't think that I've ever gone as high as a 40 mile run, even in hundred mile training, but I do a lot of back to back stuff. Mm -hmm. So for four and a half hours one day and go out and do four, four and a half hours the next day, but a four to four and a half hour run uh, yeah, that's. I guess I would be thirty-six, probably close to forty miles. So never mind. I'll take that. Back. <laughs> yeah. Well, and but but like you said, it's that it's that confidence builder, right? Yeah, it's just knowing that you've got right. it. You've got it done. Right. And you, the way that you schedule your, like you said, you have some races towards a build-up. Yeah. Um. You, I've never seen you run a race easy though. Don't so know how. so when you're in these races. You're not going, oh, this is just a 26-mile marathon long run. It's I'm, I'm in a race to run 26 miles as fast as I can, right? Yeah. It, today's race is, I think, a good example. Um, and I, 
I'm coaching uh, Abby McCarthy right now, and um, I wanted her to do a threshold run, and I said nothing is going to mimic a good tempo threshold run like a race because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how hard we push ourselves individually. It takes a race to really be at that true threshold, you know, nearly anaerobic Mm -hmm. reality, and that encourages, I believe, um, physical adaptation that's going to help carry us over the long run, um, both in the sense of running economy as well as heart and lung capacity and things of that nature. So. And she did really well today. I was chasing she's, her. She's doing awesome. I feel like the coach of the year right now. <clears throat> she's marathon PR'd two weeks ago, and then she turns around and runs this 10-miler at a faster pace than she ran the marathon in two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So she's sowing a lot of promise. Yep. And I think that idea of when we talked last time, I asked you, how do you train for all these giant hills in Buffalo? You know, how do you do that? And you're like speed work, lots and lots of speed work, lots of internal motivation and pushing yourself, right? Yeah. There are a couple of places too that I go um, where I can get a good quarter mile hill you'd be hard pressed i think to find much more than about mm-hmm. a quarter mile of a a good hill around here and when i'm getting close to to something like a 100 miler i'll it, three weeks in sequence you know i'll go down and run a full loop at oil creek for elevation and technicality i'll go to the twisted branch course the next week and run 25 miles there and then i'll try to hit something else like that mm-hmm. so it's not as much concentration on running hills right. daily and weekly as I would like, but it, it seems to get the job done. I've yeah. had, you know, I've done very well on the formula so far. Right. So to put that in, to put that in context, um, if we look back at 2016, one of the, your first race in 20, your first big race in 2016, we, we talked about Mohican this year, but the same time, Last year, 2016, right around June, you ran Sulphur Springs. Yeah, it's up in Canada. It's an older race. I think it's over 25 years old, something like that. It's Canada's oldest ultra, which I didn't know. Uh, Fairly small. The majority of participants are in shorter distances than the 100 mile. There wasn't a lot of participants in the 100. And it's a looped course. I think it's 12.5K or 12.5 miles that's a that's now. a bit of a difference. Twelve and a half k, twelve and a half. I know, miles. I know. It's eight loops. Okay. I could sit here and do so. That's that. so. That's twelve and a half miles. Twelve and a half miles. Ninety six plus the yep. Um. And that was at the end of May. Well, last year, I was trying to see if I couldn't end up getting into Western states by virtue of their new ultra race series yep the ultra trail cup or something something like that that. and i was still leading the points in early march yep and so that would have given me a ticket into western so i starting in january of last year trained as if i was going to go to western Mm -hmm. and in April? I think it was like a week before the series ended, right? Yeah, the standings totally changed. And I ended up third on the standings list. Um, But it changed the nature of things. We had gone to the length, my dad and I, of having just booked hotel. Um, 
to for well, Western you states. have to, right? You yeah, because stuff fills up, and and we delayed for as long as we could because of those unknown variables. And lo and behold, I didn't make the cut. So I searched for something that was around the same time period since I had all this training in the bank. And uh, so there were a couple of marathons before that, the DC marathon, and then I ran Boston again. And I had a pretty awful race in Boston. I tried not to, to convince myself that I didn't care about it. And I was just there for the experience, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, lo and behold, I just had a bad race and was, was not very pleased. Um, and a week after that Boston experience, that next following Monday, uh, I sort of rediscovered the joy of running, which I had kind of lost. I, and, and I set out from my house trying to tag every park in Amherst, and it ended up being a marathon, and I ended up running it just as fast as I did in Boston on a training run. Mm. And that then set into, in, into sequence a series of really good training weeks. Um, and so I landed on Sulphur Springs. It, it fit my calendar right, um, and all, all was well. And I knew nothing about it, really, um, mm-hmm. other than it was in Canada. So it was like an hour and a half from my front door, so close enough that it wasn't a, a huge undertaking to go. Yeah, to get a 100-miler within that, that distance from your house, pretty good. Of course, loops, but you know. Is loops, in, which is not a totally foreign thing, but a lot smaller loops. Oil Creek is 50K loops, so they're quite a bit longer. Um, You've run Menden, which is 10K loops. Right, yeah, <laughs> and it takes five five of those, so... To equal out the 50k so not not unreasonable and, and easy from a management standpoint so from my dad's standpoint of, of management managing me through a race it provides regular access to the runner to yeah. be able to manage through that that's what I, when i think about like what what your dad does when when crewing you and and working with you through a race that's got to be the best possible thing for him to be able to see you regularly, right? To be able to monitor. That's why something like Mind the Ducks would be pretty awesome for you. He sees you every mile, right? He can, even if you're not stopping, he can see the condition you're in. You can tell him it's it's a quick, short feedback loops. It could, yeah. It could. <laughs> not that we, I don't race on the roads. I raced on the roads today. We'd but, have to keep sharp objects away from you. Yeah. But... <laughs> And and I don't know. Maybe you just kind of get into a zone. At some at some point, I'm going to have to try try something like mind the ducks. And well, have you? So Sulphur Springs, you did 100 miles in 15 1533. Right. So 1533, and that that was good enough for a course record, right? It was. Yep. And I it, beat the old course record, I think, by four minutes. And but was, that course record had been for a while. So. And it was 95 degrees. It was a record-setting heat day in Canada that day. And so, I mean, all of those things, if you take that and you put that in mind, the ducks, it's a 12... Have you done any uh, timed events? Six-hour. You, you've done... Oh, BPAC, right? Yep, yep. Right. So you've never done a 12-hour. Nope. You, are you curious of how much you can actually run in 12 hours? Yeah. I, I have a curiosity. <laughs> I mean... I don't know if you could get to a hundred miles, but it's possible, right? Pe- people have, people have. Um, so 
I don't know. I'm I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I think at some point it'll probably have to be explored. Yeah, but, but when that happens, I don't know. I mean, for the last couple of years, my uh, the last three years, I essentially have set up my calendar to include two hundred miles mm-hmm. in the year, and right. they really have been the book the bookends on the year, and everything else has been filler between those realities mm-hmm. without the same focus. As you said, it doesn't matter what the race is. If I'm in it, I'm going to try to run to my absolute best. Mm-hmm. But really, the, the my f- focus races have been the 100-mile races. Right. And um, you, so you had June, you had Sulphur Springs, and then on the calendar was Oil Creek again, right? For your, yeah. for your third time. Yeah. It, the Tom Jennings, the race director at Oil Creek, if you win Oil Creek, you're invited for the rest of your life to come back for any of the representative distances, and it's hard to refuse free entry. It pays to stay fit, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. Something I'm, I'm uh, familiar with as a course and as a race. And I suppose also there was something in my mind that um, in 2015... Um, I had really hoped to return with another victory, but I had also hoped to to see if I couldn't get close to the then course record. And I got second, and I did run it much faster than my first year, but I think that there was a little bit of the, a chip on my shoulder to want to return to see if I could run it again and, and at least get an overall victory and see maybe if a course record was reasonable. Mm-hmm. Now, the last time you were on the podcast, we actually talked about that Oil Creek, and um, you had said that the the guy who won ran a great race. He did. He, yeah. he ran a course record. He ran he ran well the whole time, um, and you also ran well. I um, did. Yeah. So, do you think the the first and the third Oil Creeks you really weren't running with anyone? I mean, this third Oil Creek, Jason Mintz was with you sort of up until about uh, up until about seventy. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he was back there away, so I never yeah. knew he was there. But yeah, yeah I mean, he, he was wasn't... he was within striking distance through seventy. Um, but I ran alone. I, yeah. I ran the race alone. In year one, I ran alone. Year one. And it's now so distant, it's easy to think of it without remembering, I suppose, the pain. But year one, I think I actually was in the best shape and had the most possibility. And there were just some some little technical glitches that I think um, I had an issue with a headlamp that, that <laughs> soaked up quite a bit of time and held me up on the trail quite a bit as I tried to run in the dark. Um, I had an issue with my sock. Towards the end of the race, oh, undone so, by a sock. Um, Good thing you got better socks these days, huh? Yeah, I've just gone a little taller socks, <laughs> particularly in in trail races. So at that point, I was running in the the double tab no show socks. Yeah, and at mile ninety five, one of them just snuck in past my heel and into my shoe. So now in trail races, I run in taller. Yeah, yeah. Socks. I saw that you had, you had, um on the on the Beast Coast film. You got the little white white stubby socks sticking up out of your out of yep. your shoes now yep that's cute <laughs> that's what i was going for was cute it gives you that 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 childish jaunty kind of feel as you run down the trail there you go yeah i think they call them mini crews or something like oh 
Nice. I like the no shows. Those are, I mean, but for trails, I, I don't wear those. I wear similar like crew socks. Yeah. And, and some of that I think had to do with them getting wet and then dry, wet and dry throughout mm-hmm. the race that finally they're just, they yeah. just, uh, you know, and, and my shoe size is right on that cusp between large and extra large. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I don't think that helps matters. Mm. So anyways, yeah. uh, shoes aside, <laughs> um, this year, Oil Creek, um, what did you do sort of after Sulphur Springs? I know you came and you sort of hung out at Cayuga and just ran around the trail a little bit. I did. Cayuga, I think, was a week. A week after Sulphur After Sulphur. So I, I never had it on my calendar, again, because I had presumed that I was going to be in Western States. Cayuga would have been too soon to really recover well for for Western. So I didn't sign up for Cayuga. And with Sulphur Springs just a week prior, I wasn't going to throw my hat into that ring either. So I went and hung out, which was really different. I haven't done a lot of going to races when I'm not racing them. Mm -hmm. And it is a different experience to be a spectator, uh, as opposed to running it. And there is a part of you that struggles, I think, in the spec- in the spectating, because even though people are um, challenged by what they have thrown their hat in mm-hmm. to do, um, there is in the midst of that, that struggle, yeah. great memories and things that are being yeah. made. It, it was really good to see you at mile 25. As I, yeah. was, as I was looking at the starting line, going back out underneath it. Um, but I've, I practiced that last year, being at races instead of in races. And there's a little bit of, there's. it's not necessarily that fear of missing out because you're there, but it's a little bit of like, there's no reason I, I couldn't be run. I feel fine. I should be out there running. I'm at yeah. a race. I run when I'm at races, you know? Right, right. So. Well, and, and the... When, when racers come in and they're all talking about the course and the experience, yes, as a past participant, you can mm-hmm. relate, but they're talking about that particular experience of that day, and that's yeah. not something you can do. Uh, but Ian was nice enough to give me a task, and so I went out and hid um, prizes that yeah. he had. Ian, is, Ian always gives people opportunities to help out. Yeah, he's, he doesn't. He doesn't lack for those. He's really great at that. <laughs> I was at I was at the uh, the one of his races, and suddenly I became a caterer. You know, the the burritos are coming. You go put them together, right? And so I was instantly a caterer certified. Um, but he he has that you know knack of giving people opportunities to contribute. Um, so you asked what came after, right? Um, I pretty quickly got back into consistent training. So I didn't have any major fallouts following Sulphur Springs as far as injury or recovery, um, which I, in some ways was unexpected. It was very warm, um, but the race unfolded really well at Sulphur Springs. And even though I wanted to drop at 50 miles and was... Don't you it, always want to drop at 50 pretty miles? Pretty much, yeah. Um, and was informed by my dad that that then the race wouldn't count, which I've since learned may not have been entirely true. What do you mean the race wouldn't count? So I, when I'm feeling as though I might want to consider stepping down to a different distance, I'll often ask my dad to approach the race director and see if a finish of a lesser distance will still be counted. Mm. And he has yet to ever tell me that that 
is the case. Mm, he yeah. always says, nope, the, the race you're registered for is the race that you're in. So if you finish, if you don't finish that distance, it'll be a DNF. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm sure he's asked all the race directors. Yeah, I think most of the time he lies to me about what, what the truth of it is. Well, and some of that I think is he's reviewing how I'm doing. So I'm yeah. stuck in my head and he's the, he's the spectator mm-hmm. and he sees that, you know, it's going well. And having been through these dark moments with me before, he also knows how to use and abuse the yeah. the moment to make sure that I'll keep going because I'll be probably um, more upset with myself if I right. if I do step down when I could have gone for Well, and then you'd have to find another 100-miler to run because you run 200 milers every... That's right. 50-miler doesn't count that way. Um, all right. So, so I'm, um, I'm sort of reviewing your year a little bit. You had a... Uh, you swung by zero SPF, right? Trails Rock. I did. They offered me a free entry into that because I wore a Trails Rock um, singlet at the Boston Marathon. Yeah. And so they were kind enough then to, one of one of the founders of Trails Rock was kind enough to Because they, they have four founders spots right. that they can give away to, at their own discretion to yep. people that, you know, um, uphold the values of Trails Rock. Yeah. And that there was actually a race before that in... Um, I'm trying to remember when it was. It was after Cayuga, maybe a week after Cayuga or two weeks after Cayuga. I went and did the Vegan Power 50K. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So this was the first of Jason Mintz and I tangling throughout the year. Which uh, Jason Mintz had done Vegan Power the, the year before, and yes. he was like, he's like, that course has lots of twists and turns. He's like, there's so much turning that you, you can't get to max speed. You really can't, not on yeah. the trail portions. And yeah. uh, so Mike Weldon and I drove out there together, and um, Jason was there. And Jason took first, and I took second. Yeah, Jason had a day that day. He did, and, and he said it went great. And um, But it is kind of a slow 50K, because given the elevation profile, you'd assume a much faster time. But, yeah, it just twists and turns so much that it's really hard to to get the speed on and i saw some of the most epic falls it, it was pretty incredible just people hooking a toe on on a route and yeah. these big big falls so that happened in june and that was kind of coming out of sulfur springs and recovering as well as i did i kind of wanted to um go ahead and bag another ultra while I was feeling good before I got into the midst of the summer. Cause that's, I found that that's it, what I like to do. I like to cram all my yeah, ultras just, just, together. Just, <laughs> just go ahead and mash them all up. Um, I find that the middle of the summer when my wife's a teacher and my daughter's out of school, it gets really hard mm-hmm. to put together good, consistent training yep. uh, and still make sure that I'm honoring family time and family needs. So, threw that in there for, for kind of that purpose. I knew I was in shape. I knew I had good training, so why not just go ahead and bag it before? Um, so, and, and my objective in some ways was hoping to, to hit every ultra distance again in a calendar year as I had the year before. Mm-hmm. Not really with the idea of once again trying to, to get my way into Western through, through the Ultra Cup Series. Um, but it just kind of makes a nice objective of if I can do everything from a marathon to a hundred miles in one year, 
um, it, it's kind of a neat way to kind of structure your calendar. Yeah. So I went ahead and tagged that, and then zero SPF would have been the next thing because that's in July, mid-July-ish. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's one of those races that I've intended to do and never done, and it's hard to refuse when it's free. Yeah, it was a very fast field this year. It was probably the fastest I've seen besides the year that Kip ran it and yeah. did, did Kip's thing. That I mean, this was full of people. You know, Jason Mintz was there, Matt Lipsy was there, you were there, Mike Weldon was there, and I'm going to leave 10 people Phil out. Phil Nesbitt was Phil there. Nesbitt was There's there. a lot of local speedsters, and so it really could have gone, I think, anybody's direction, yeah. depending on the day. And Jason and I um, were, I had him still in sight through 10 miles. He was right there. Yeah. And so I I was looking for revenge after vegan power. <laughs> um and a half marathon is not, you know, that's not really my specialty. Not enough. I have a specialty, but not um, enough digits again. Not enough digits. And and Jason's he's a speedy he's a speedy runner, um, particularly in the shorter stuff. Mm-hmm. He just he is. He's got great leg speed. So um, he finally got untethered from me though, and so I took third, mm-hmm. and that he got second. Yeah, that was a fast year. It was a fast year. Um, although it, it's still amazing to me that. Kips run uh, one trail race. Yeah. That, that was it. And he set the course record. He hasn't run any trail races since then, as far as I know. You know, and it's like it, he's, he's running, you know, in road shoes and a trail. There's, there's USATF money on the line, and Kip's there. And he shows up. He shows up, runs, sets course record, never steps foot on the trail again. Yeah, did what he needed to do. <laughs> um, so that brings us into August. And so that would have been Twisted Branch, and that like Oil Creek. Was never, in, I've never heard of that race. What's yeah, that one? Yeah. <laughs> was also a race director's invitation to return. Yeah, and um, had a good experience. Obviously, year one of the race, and uh, I really liked that that trail, and so thought I would return. Um, and based on the people who had signed up. I thought there was a good chance to be able to repeat, but it also was a, a deeper field, I think, than year one, um, particularly for the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Scotty, it was hot. It was Scotty, another hot day. It was Scotty Jacobs and Jason Lance, right? Yeah. And, and you. Uh, and who else was up there? There were there were four of us all pretty yeah. tight. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who, but... I'm not good at that kind of stuff. That's why I don't give race results on the podcast because I'm not good at that sort of stuff. Um, but that again was now setting up for Oil Creek, right? That yeah. it wasn't exactly an A race. It's a race you like, a race you want to do well in because that's your thing. Um, but it wasn't exactly an A race. No, no, it wasn't. If I had looked at it as such, then it would have really, I would have trained differently. Mm-hmm. I was less trained than I was the first year I did Twisted Branch, and I knew that going in. And I think the experience that I had there reflected that. Um, But it really did set me up well for Oil Creek because it's just time on your feet, time on the trail. And it's it's hard work. I mean, if you... That's a a tough course. It's not a joke. Yep. So Oil Creek, this year I was there. I heard heard so many tales of it (laughs) that, uh, that this year I went. All right, so uh, Jamie Hobbs and I went down with Mike Weldon. You were there, staying in your caboose. Um, 
Ron was there with you filming for what would now is we know is Beast Coast, yeah, the, episode the trail one. series, episode one, striking oil. Um, so this was this was a a much bigger to do, I think, than any of your previous oil creeks. Would you say that's true? Uh, well, year one was my first hundred mile finish and it's right. hard really to kind of have a bigger to do than your first yeah, one. I guess, and but that was like, that was you and your parents, right? It was just me and my parents. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, like you had it, there was lots I think of Sean, Sean was there year one cause he ran the 50 K Okay. and uh, another local guy, Clyde was there who ran the hundred K. So there were some people around, but it really, it really was just kind of my parents and I, it was mm-hmm. not, it was not anything specific or there wasn't a group of support year two. I had Laura as a pacer and Jeff Green was there and Mike came down and paced as well. So there's much more of a crew. And some of the reflection coming out of that experience was trying to simplify that kind of had become over complex in year two and year one, I had done so well. And, and my um, approach to the race and demeanor throughout the race was really, really good that the thought that we had was to try to kind of take some of the moving parts out and simplify. So what happened? Um, well, Ron decided to film the whole thing. <laughs> Let's <laughs> yeah. add more moving parts in. But Ron and I had been corresponding for some time about ideas, and he had approached me as a subject um, for what now has been born into this Beast Coast series. Mm-hmm. And we went back and forth on how we could, you know, create something that uh, that would be inclusive enough that people would enjoy to watch and it wouldn't just be somebody's narrative or, um, you know, it wouldn't be so narrow that it really wouldn't be applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron has personal experience with Oil Creek himself, and I think that that helped in the sense of, and knowing the course and going there and returning there. And, and also um, the year that he finished his 100 was the year I finished my first 100. So he recalls interacting with me in the he, various he, loops. He, he does. He mentions how, how you lapped him. But um, I think also the familiarity with the community and understanding that that would be a good story. I mean, this this series is about stories of, yeah. of communities and of people in the communities and of the races that bring these communities together. Yeah. You know, so there's there's three pieces there and I think it's a good um it's a good way to get started with um familiarity of Oil Creek. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that was a strength for everybody, you know. But the moving parts, right? So you had mentioned um you had the you had the hotel at the caboose, right? And it was yep. you and Ron. Yep. But now you had cavalcade of people sort of coming in, right? We I crashed your party a couple times. Um, yeah, you came. You and Jamie came in to support Mike. Yep. Uh, and I I had kind of intentionally, probably in early September, stopped asking Mike questions about Oil Creek because I didn't want to hold his hand into. Mm-hmm. making whatever arrangements needed to be made. I just decided to kind of selfishly worry, just worry well, about and myself. Well, you had to, right? I mean, that's yeah. a, that's that reduction of moving parts, right? right? Yeah. Um, and, but that added three more people that I knew in. Then there was a whole other caboose full of people. From, All the Bonds Lake people, from right? Bonds Lake, yeah, from the Buffalo area. 
um, none of whom succeeded in what they set out to yeah. do. But it's, it was just it was more people around, right. and then and Jason then, there as well. And then Jason Mintz came down for his first hundred miler. Yeah. So yep. you know, you you and him have that <coughs> again that common ground. First hundred miles, Oil Creek. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing. That was a monkey on his back. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Huckle was down there. He's been trying to crack the 100-miler right. for Nate a while. was down there. Right? And so he, who was his crew? Um, uh, Jim Malosky Jim was down there with yep. him. Yep. Um, so he had, he had a little crew. It was so amazing to see him come in for his first loop. He finished, and uh, he sort of, and Jim Malosky's uh, a massage therapist. So Nate goes, you know, my, my hamstring. So they lay out a blanket. They got Nate down on the ground, and Jim's doing full body work. Like he's getting a massage 50K into this race. And I'm just like, I, I don't even, I think the green showed on my face with envy. I'm like, this is what I, I need a crew. You need crew, that kind I of experience. So I'm bringing Stratton to all my races from here go. on out, you know, as long as he's not running them. And you know. I, I got a, um, Jim works out of an office that is two minutes from my house. Oh, that's. So that's Jim is now my, as soon as something has a little <laughs> oddity to it, I go up to Jim and. What I like about the way that he approaches, not that he needs a plug from me, is that he really looks uh, at the athlete as a whole rather than just the problem. So he did some some gait analysis, you know, just walk, let me see how you walk. And um, so trying to address the underlying issue rather than just the presenting issue. Yeah. Can, can I get you back healthy? You know, and, and that person who says, I would like not to see you again. Is the kind of physician or therapist that I want to have. Right. I want to see you as little as necessary. Right. right? I'm yeah. here when when you need to be seen, but mm-hmm. not uh, so you can fill my my <laughs> bank account with money constantly. Yep. So it was. There's a lot of people that traveled from this area, and and again, it's great because it's it's four hours away. You know. Yeah. It's so. it's essentially as local as we can get, particularly since. Um, the hundred miler that Ian used to put on isn't around. Vir- Virgil Crest. Virgil Crest. It's, this is going to be like the fifth, eighth, twentieth podcast where the Virgil Crest has been mentioned as not being around. So our choices for local stuff, local hundreds, mm-hmm. you know, is Vermont. I guess could be kind of considered local. Oil Seven Creek, hours. Yeah. Uh, Burning River, yeah. Sulphur Springs, or Halliburton up in Canada. Mm-hmm. But fairly small, and then it depends how far you want to travel. And Oil Creek is probably the closest of all of those mm-hmm. for any of us from the Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse yep. area. Yeah. So uh, getting into it, you know, we um, I slept in the gym, woke up. We were all kind of hanging out before the race started. And I think one of, the, one of the things that I noticed was this race in particular, you usually like to show up as late as possible to a race, right? Yeah. And just get there and go. This one, you seem to hang around, you know, a little bit before, and it, it seemed like you were purposely not paying attention to anybody else at the race. I, there is a, whether or not we are cognizant of it, um, uh, and I don't think this is exclusive to those of us that are competitive in the front. It's easy in these events to look around the room and be intimidated. Mm-hmm. Everybody looks fit. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is sort of a self-preservation aspect 
to retreating and being quiet in the corner of the room of, I don't want to psych myself out before the race begins, which is why I typically try to arrive as late as humanly possible so that I don't have to try to figure out a way to retreat. And I've watched some of the, particularly the outtakes um, from, from that first episode of Beast Coast, and there are times where I can see visibly that retreat that I'm doing in my mm-hmm. face. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm not really engaging in conversation, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, but I'm just I'm just sort of in my own place. Sitting down, looking at the table. Yeah. That's, that's about it, yeah. Now, as and, soon as the race begins, I'll be as chatty as a jaybird to anybody who's around in the race. But right. it's interesting that before a race, there's yeah. just... There's a different... Uh, well, and that, you know, that's a... It might help to, you know, stay cool, you know, before the race and not get hyped up and not think about that and, you know, do whatever it is that you need to do. It's obviously working for you. Right? Yeah. So. I Maybe it's an aspect of just, again, self-preservation. There's no reason to waste energy. You're going to have plenty of opportunity on the trail to get rid of all the energy <laughs> you have. Yeah. So how can you how can you manage your energy so you're really using as little as humanly possible. So if you saw, I sat the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was not on my feet. You're going to be on your feet all day long. The last yep. thing you need to do is be on them longer. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, just kind of staring off into no yep. man's land. Anything, anything particular about this Oil Creek race that made it sort of stand out for you? The, through the first, almost the entire first 50K, certainly through the first half of that loop, um, there was a pretty heavy mist or fog. Yeah. And that <laughs> driving in was crazy. And that on the trail meant that your headlamp was reflecting back off of that. So the ability to really see the trail beyond what was right at your feet was mitigated by that. And that made the tactics of running different. Um, and that may have helped me very early to untether from, from Mince is because I knew the course. And so I had a little more confidence about what was coming up, whereas he was completely blind, yeah, had, he had no knowledge of the course. He had never been down there. You run it for training runs, and you had two previous races there. Yeah, I've run a lot of loops. Down. So you've had it in the best of conditions, right, <laughs> on a training run, and you've had, had it, it in the, the worst. Of the end of a 100-miler. Yeah. Yep. So that did make make the experience unique compared to the other two years um, to have it start in that way. It, it cleared out, and the day actually ended up being a, a nice day. The, the temperature was kind of right on the money of where you'd want it for a run. Got a little cold in the evening, but that's to be expected in October in Pennsylvania. Um, that moisture in the morning did make some things sloppy, but it wasn't overly sloppy. And that really became more apparent going into the second, particularly the third loop, after those trails had been tromped on by so many people. Right. Now there is, I mean, the loops themselves are trails, but then there's there's some road portions, right? Um, yeah, there's a section on on like a, a a viaduct on a up next to the river um, by the Drakewell Museum. That's flat. And then you have to run on this bike path to and from the high school. It equals out to be about, I think, four or five miles of pavement run per loop. Now, when you hit 
those road sections, do you do you feel like you need to run road pace now because that you know you're up front and you're like this is a road and this is how fast I run on a road or do you sort of keep your trail pace and maintain your you know um, easy breathing and all that kind of stuff? Yes, <laughs> I think it probably ends up somewhere in the middle. You know, the tactics for running a hundred mile race are different than the tactics of running a marathon. And so, you know, what would qualify as road pace in a marathon is not going to be the same as what road pace is going to be in the midst of a a hundred mile trail run. Mm -hmm. Does the pace increase? Yeah. I'm sure if you looked at the Strava file, you could exactly see where those miles are because the consistency of them would be, would be, um, different than the trail, which goes up and down and all around. Yeah. And so the reason I ask is because it feels like if you're, yeah, those are, you know, time, you can, you can get a couple minutes back. And as you said, it's Sulphur Springs, right? You beat that record by four or seven minutes. Yeah. That's, those are picking up the road pace by a minute per mile. You and know, Jason that, remarked that he felt like he, he made up a lot of time or ground yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, which was also his expression of um, a limitation that he had had in training, perhaps on trails, that the 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 stuff that was predictable and smooth and road, which is really how he had done a lot of his training, was where his speed came on and, and yeah. where he could make up a little ground. So he looked forward to it. <laughs> and uh, as I was saying to you just earlier today, I looked forward to to getting back on the trail after those little sections um, because you're just focused on staying upright. There's too many opportunities to catch your toe on a root or, yeah. or a rock and go down. And so you stop thinking about pace and, and the consistency of pace and just hammering out mile after mile. And you just start worrying about staying on your feet pretty soon the miles just go by right roots and roots and rocks and and mud and hills and all that can distract you from what's five or ten miles up ahead right that that's one of the reasons why i love trails you right. know yeah. i think of something like beast of burden you know 100 miles on the canal and i just think of i can see the 12 and a half miles ahead of me where i have to go <laughs> that doesn't sound fun you know? yeah I suppose it's like running a one mile loop. If you get I'm your sure. head in the right place, yeah. maybe it'd be okay. And and I yeah, know. and I think so. Mind the ducks, I love because there's just so many people all the way around. It's you're running around a party pretty much, you know. Yeah. So it's a little bit, but yeah, that idea of I'm on the trails and the you know, roots and rocks and where are my feet going and what's next and oh, there's a branch there and there's a tree and and like you said, you keep your pace and stay upright, don't fall right. on your head and you're good to go. Yeah. So you uh, you went, you won Oil Creek, got it back, so you're two for three now? I'm two for three, yes. I, so now you get to also get in for free in the afterlife? Is that is that how that works? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, in the eternal hereafter, I'll be running Oil Creek forever. Oh, that does, I don't think that's the eternal hereafter you're bound for, honestly. You're, you're far too pious for that. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. Uh, and then we get into December and we had a little, uh, Western States lottery party. Yeah. I thought this was going to be it. Not, you know, I mean, I, I know the statistics and the chances were still slim, but this is my third year entering 
And yeah. so I, with that many more possibilities, I figured this this is it. I'm finally going to have my ticket pulled. And so you hosted uh, a bunch of us over at your house, and Jamie and I both who had possibilities were were there mm-hmm. waiting with bated breath on on whether our names might be pulled and um it wasn't sean remarked it was it was different to watch the lottery with people who actually had a chance to get in <laughs> rather than just listening or watching and and knowing no one yeah. with that possibility i remember watching it last year and just seeing names go by and i remember being excited when amy Rusecki was pulled i was like oh i know amy Rusecki. you yeah. know like I've, I've met her that's cool you know but now, now i'm sitting there next to you and jamie and you're both talking about like another first year gets in Oh, there, uh, you know, and, how many do we have left? Right. Oh, there's this many left. Right. And you guys were really pulling for the sixth and seventh years and the fifth years. Yeah. And I, and I thought, oh, that's very chivalrous of them and how nice. But in reality, if they get pulled this year, they're not in it next year. Right. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> there's less people for next year. There's less year. people in front. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jason got pulled, which is great. You know, I, I, um, am happy that we have representation going. Am I bothered that my name didn't get pulled? <laughs> yeah, sure, I'm a little bothered. Yeah, um, what are you going to do, right? Um, I want to get in by the lottery so I really can set my year up for that. It was a little tricky this past year as I waited to see if that Ultra Race yeah. Cup would work out yeah. um, to not just know in November, mm-hmm. okay, my name got pulled. I know what I'm doing in June. Right. And trying to stay healthy for that, so um, that's the way that I'd like like to get in. So that means that one of the hundred milers that I will do this year, which is Mohican, needs to be a Western States qualifier, so I can keep, keep so, my name in the hat. So there's that third way of getting in, right? Which is racing in on a golden ticket race. Right. And you and I have talked about most of your races are around here; they're local, right. and that's logistically for family. Yeah. And for crew, right? You, you race and your dad's your crew and your family's here and you don't want to be gone forever. Have you thought about, you know, we've said like more adventurous, bigger, higher, you know, pro- profile races. I think it's going to come up particularly beyond this year. Uh, my dad is retiring in June. So he cut down on his duties in January and, and fully retiring in June. So... That's one less schedule to have to manage <laughs> in the mix of these races. Um, I'm also getting to the point where I'm really trying to be thoughtful about what races I'm doing and how much I'm racing. So right. choosing a, a, a destination race a little further away and doing fewer races is coming down the pike. Um, I think if I counted up at the end of last year, I've now run... 50 marathons or longer the majority of those have been ultras so i've done enough of these now that it's time to start you know tagging some Mm -hmm. some some of those races memorable races that i've read the race reports for and sound like a good time and well and to me a lot of times you're running up front in these races alone yeah. You know, I mean, in the shorter ones in the 50 miles, like Cayuga and stuff, you're, you're in the mix, you know, and there's right. people you're running with, but in hundred miles, like oil Creek, I mean, two out of three years, you're running alone up front and yeah. sulfur Springs, you know? And so I, I wonder, and I don't know if you do like, 
what is what would it be like if you had three or four people that are just slightly faster than what your hundred mile times are? Would, yeah, would you then make that leap? Like you said, the, to really push ourselves, as you were saying with Abby, nothing's really gonna get you to push yourself like that competition. A competition in a race? Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, I'd like to think that it would, but a hundred miler is enough of a Herculean <laughs> Herculean task on its own that it's hard to know how much competition can really mm. alter what that is. I, I think it's got to have some effect no matter right. what. And well, I think Western's a great example of seeing seeing how that competition can really alter the playing field. So many of us would have thought results might have been different this past year. Not, not, just, not, not to speak specifically of Jim Walmsley. His mistake was not one of competition. His was one of course navigation. But somebody like Sager or many others that we thought most certainly would be in the mix for the podium, and 100 miles is a long way. Mm-hmm. The race just shook out differently. Yeah, and one of the things I think that's key to a 100-miler, because I've run so many of them, <laughs> um, real, but it's it's staying within your own head, running your own race. You know, yeah. um, We've talked about that so much. Like, You don't know that person goes out fast if they're... If they've, act, I mean, people, Walmsley, right? Like, oh, he's got the course record at 30 miles. Ah, whatever. It's his first. Oh, he's got the course record at 50 miles. Oh, he's got the course record at 80 miles. I guess this is really for real. Legitimate. Yeah. yeah. But, but you never really know, you know? So if you're, if you get off of your game chasing somebody in a hundred miler, hey, you got, you got 12 to 18 hours, you know, where things can go horribly wrong. Yeah. So. Anyways, you know, this is this is my morally safer, my hard-hitting journalism here. Um, so going forward, you have Mohican mm-hmm. um, uh, with the idea that that's going to be your uh, fifth year in the lottery, right? Or your fourth, fourth year in the lottery. Yeah. Right? So that that's eyes on the prize right there first. Get I think that. it's getting pretty close to... Yeah. To a near guarantee. I mean, it's not an. It's still a lottery, so there's still a chance. Ask those but, six years and seven years how they feel about a near exactly, guarantee. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that that too. You know, Western is is the Boston Marathon. It's the one that if if your name gets pulled for it and you're running Laurel this year, yeah. they're going to put your name in the mix because if it gets pulled, you're going to go run it because it's Western states. Well, and that's what I think about, like. Sure. I, I, I'm running Laurel because I had Jamie on the podcast and when he talked about Laurel and when we've talked about it ever since then, it sounds like a great race. It sounds like a good race for yeah. me. It's also a Western States qualifier. Right. That's why I think you see the first year tickets such a large number because, well, why not, right? If I just ran a 70-mile race and you're going to give me a chance to get into the, to the big dance, I'm, I'm going to put it in there. You're going you're gonna to make a go for it. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is, what would I do next year, right? Because now I got one in there, and as you know, it you, gets a You can better. see where it goes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. And that's why Jamie ran Hellgate this year. To right? Go ahead and get his ticket in. <clears throat> And now he's got it for next year. Hellgate's really interesting, and then it's a qualifier for the year after. Right. So if you're in shape and you're ready to go. So he's already got his qualifier for next year. Yeah. He's got one up on you. (laughs) Well, yes, in that he's already got his qualifier for the year. Yeah. Yeah, I have a year on him. Yeah, you have one year on him. Provided I, you know, and that that is the dance that we do, because if you don't, 
run a Western States qualifier, then you lose all of the previous years behind you, uh, which is what happened with Mike yeah. Weldon. Um, so Mohican is my Western States, and my backup, if I have to utilize it, is Oil Creek. Mm-hmm. But I'm not planning to run the 100 mile at Oil Creek. I'm planning to run the 100K. Yeah, just to see what, what you can do out there, right? Nice and, nice and fast. Yeah, right? and uh, a friend, Clyde, is trying to finish his first 100 miler, and I'd like to help him do that. I think he'll, he, he is quickly becoming the oldest guy entered in a lot of these races and this is just that one that has he has yet to finish and so mm-hmm. i'd like to help him do that mm-hmm. um so what sulfur springs showed me was that i could run a hundred pretty fast and so now there is this i nagging thing in the back of my head is what does it look like to try to go torch a course you know can i find a faster hundred and stay within that same realm of sulfur or maybe even be able to to go faster than that. Um, so that's becoming the objective for an early fall hundred is can I find can I find one and do one that I know I know a really fast flat hundred miler just ran it uh, back in September. Yeah I'm I'm vacillating between Pine Creek and Halliburton. Halliburton is structured more like Sulphur Springs. Yeah. And that worked for me and it has some trail yep. and that would keep me happier. Yep. Um, it's still fairly close. Yep. I'm, I'm doing all these Canada races now, but, um, <laughs> well, you have a, you have a very soft voice. I'm sure they accept you up there. <laughs> um, they're both on the same date. So yeah. it really is so, just a matter of which one I think is going to, is going to fit better. So a lot of, you know, what's sort of floating around the ultra world in the, in the pro ranks and all the really well-established ultra runners is they're sort of a lot of them are moving out of the hundred mile competition and they're starting to look at adventures and they're starting to look, yeah. you know, and then you got the 200s like Tahoe 200 showing up and stuff. Sulphur Springs just, yeah. they started offering a 200 this year. They only have 12 and a half, uh, 16 loops. Gosh, I can't imagine. Um, just counting that high. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, FKTs and all that. Yeah. Uh, and first known times, fastest known times, 200 milers. You seem pretty, pretty set and into the seeing how well you can do hundreds. Is that true? Right now, right now I've, I've thought about, to my knowledge, nobody has ever tried to FKT end to end the Finger Lakes trail. So essentially border to Pennsylvania to the border of Connecticut. It's 400 and it's long. Yeah. Yep. 463, something like that. And I've thought about that as an objective. Um, But when I've encountered the FLT late in Twisted Branch, I've had that experience of saying, do I really want to face this? And I know it varies over the state as far Mm -hmm. as the geography and topography goes. But... um, Late in, in Twisted Branch, the idea of doing the whole thing is not exactly appealing. Uh, but I have thought about that to see what does it look like to do multi-day mm-hmm. and um, to see how my body responds to that. Um, at Oil Creek, we don't actually utilize all of the Girard hiking trail. We miss this little piece of it. And if you did the entirety of it, it'd be 30, 39 miles, I think it is. So someday I'm just going to go down there and run the whole thing in a circle because I don't think anybody's ever 
Oh, yeah. Done right. a fastest known time on the full Girard hiking trail. Right, just because it's not part of the course and nobody's had right. cause to do it. Um, and there are some others here and there that I've, I've thought would be fun to tag. The, the, the F, doing an FKT on the FLT, to me, still is the most appealing just because it hasn't, right. and hasn't it, been done. And it's here. It's ours. And know? it's ours, and we're familiar with it. There's some navigational challenges to it. There's a lot of these little road sections on the FLT where it's confusing to follow. Yeah. Yep. And, and there's um, some parts um, where you are you actually have to go through a town because the FLT is on the other side of the town and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so that that's where I would have to do a lot of recon to really feel confident mm-hmm. about being able to do it, or I'd have to have crew that could guide me, particularly through those sections that right. are not obvious. When you're on the trail, it's usually pretty obvious that mm-hmm. you're on the trail. Um, but the other thing I would need is I'd need two weeks. Mm-hmm. at least two weeks of time and probably more, probably more like three just to be safe to do something like that. And to get a three week block of time that is not committed in some other way with where I'm at in my life. I'm, I'm about to turn 40. Uh, you know, I have a, a young daughter and the commitments and obligations of work and family. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah. And so I admire these people that are doing it, but it seems also that they're either younger or, they're just a running bum. You know, this is their lifestyle and this is their life. And so they don't have the same obligations to juggle. Yeah. You, you just think about like, or you think about somebody like Jerick when he did the AT or Carl Meltzer, right? Their wives are there with them, Yeah, you know, so they're not leaving family. They're dragging family along with them, you know? Right. And there's, there's appeals to that as well, but there's also, you know, we go out on the trails to sort of be alone too so well both those guys make their living really running off of their running or off of their past past running and you know being people that show up to events and things of that Mm -hmm. nature i don't if running paid my bills then it would be an i think an entirely different conversation Mm -hmm. about what things would we were talking this morning you're moving into the masters that's right you're gonna start collecting that (laughs) masters money (laughs) That's um well you know that it's interesting to to think about you know I mean there's a lot of this idea of you know being thinking about what's coming right or what will happen in the future there's also a lot of um, what what's today right yeah today you're almost turning forty right you're able to run a ten mile race in fifty nine thirty you're able to run hundred milers in fifteen thirty like these are this is today is pretty good yeah right yeah. And you're right. We we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know, you know, how injury or what the future could bring. But right now, things things are uh, going along real well. So jam all those ultras together. <laughs> just, just mash them all together. Yeah, take that philosophy and approach. Yeah, get it get it while you can. I think there is an aspect of running ultras that the more that we do these things, the more our bodies adapt and the quicker that they recover. And so when you're feeling good, even if you've run a really long race, there's no reason that you can't turn around and end up doing something else in relative short order. And it does seem, you know, the the old school ultra guys will tell you that really you've got one race in you per year. Mm -hmm. Remember Tom Perry once saying, you know, you run 100 mile race a year, that's about it. And, um, 
it seems that today, race frequency, everybody is running a lot of races per year. Mm-hmm. And the top guys are running a lot of races really fast yeah. throughout the entire year. But if you, if you listen to um, somebody like Carl Meltzer, who says they, they want his value is longevity, right? Yeah. He's won a hundred miler 16, 17 years in a row, something like, like that. that. His value is longevity. Right. You hear some, you hear Jim's Wal- Jim Walmsley. He said, I'm not going to be doing this forever. He's like, I want to get everything I can while I'm at the top. I'm going to, I'm going to win as much as I possibly can. And, you know, because he knows that it might only be three or four years where he's racing at that level. And it's kind of a change, I think, in our sport to see that because ultra running historically, I feel, really was the sport of longevity. Mm-hmm. The, people, the people that were in that made the headlines of the race reports were people whose names you saw year after year after year, and they didn't really there were very few that shine bright and then fizzled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically we're older too. So it wasn't the marathoner scene where <clears throat> as a top marathoner, by the time you're 30, you're burned out and done. Yeah. This was something that you really did and was, was a lifestyle was a commitment of a life. And we've watched, I think as younger and younger people have come into the ultra scene and are even expressing like Jim Walmsley has, there's no way that you can run at this level without burnout, mm-hmm. without essentially getting to a point where it's impossible to do it. And we've seen that play out. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Olson is still running, but there's always questions as to mm-hmm. did did the years that he had in the frequency of his racing and the level of his, his racing really take its toll on him? Right. You know, right. and that's like hard a, to say. Somebody like Kyle Skaggs, right? Like, yeah. he's just like, you know what? I, I did it. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to go, going to go work on this farm now. See you guys. I'm, you know, I'm, all, I'm out. Um, yeah. a lot of guys with the adrenal, adrenal mm. fatigue disorder, you know, trying yeah. to figure out whether overtraining or, or over racing. So I do think that, that we do have to be mindful of it and know it's probably not sustainable to, to run hard all the time. Um, but if you're running, I mean, you got 12 months and you're doing a hundred miler every eh, six months, yeah, right? Yeah. You got June and October, or maybe you got May and November or whatever, but it's six months apart. You know, that's not terrible. I, I don't think, but, um, my thing is I, I, I'm staying at the hundred K for a little, well now I'm going up to 70 miles, but you're still within that ballpark. Yeah. Now. I'm still going to sleep on the same day. <laughs> that's, that's the difference for me. I, I've long touted my admiration for the people um, like Ron, for example, who take so much longer. Is I've not taken longer than a hair over 18 hours to finish a 100-mile run. I can't imagine being out there for 24 hours, 30 hours, 32 hours. And there are people that do that. And my admiration is, you know, like you said, I, I'm still going to bed on the same day. Yeah. You know, so I'm not having to, to really struggle with that exhaustion mm-hmm. part of yeah. these people that are spending that much time out there on the course. And that yeah. that's just an incredible feat to yeah, me. Yeah, you seem to stay fresh most of the time, you know. So it, it seems like you're you're not I mean, as much as we joked about cram them all together, it's it's not actually that. But 
when I think of, okay, two races per year and, and then looking ahead at one year, what's next? And looking again, once next. it's very level-headed approach to things. The challenge that we're running into now in this scene is that races are selling out so quick Ugh. that you have to structure an entire year in October. And in October, when I'm still in the midst of racing in the given year, I'm not ready to think about the next year and where I want to go and what I want to do. Um, but the entries in some of these are starting to open in November. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready to commit, you're going to lose the opportunity to participate. So compared to how it was four years ago. Yeah, so short, right? I mean, yeah. Four years ago, you could still largely, for most things, sign up on race day if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And we're now in a situation where you really do have to think out your year as a complete whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and make the commitments and make them early, or you're not going to be able to participate. So that is that is a bit of a challenge because mentally I'm not ready to shift that gear until a year oh. has passed. Right, and and these no no refunds, no wait list, all that. Like, oh, it's just it is. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, it's exhausting in a way. In its own way, it's a little bit differently exhausting. I do think that our bodies tell us when they've had enough. I've had two stress fractures, and I could look back at the training logs and and give an account for why I think they happened, but I think a lot of that or a lot of the tendonitis that that people suffer with or plantar fasciitis or any of the other itises that that we managed to get, I had a, a hip thing occur after Oil Creek that sort of waylaid me. Um, through the entire month of November, I did hardly any running. And sometimes I think the body just says enough. There has to be a period of healing. And I try to be mindful of that as much as I can in December. And usually the best I can do is about two weeks of very little running. And some of that is and understanding that this is also a mental right. I was going to say your, your wife can only take two weeks of you not running. Right. right? So out, trying to um, work with the bike on the bike trainer or I can swim if I have to. I've done those things when I've been, when I've had stress fracture or had reason to, they don't cause the same joy or fulfillment in me that running does. And so I do them out of obligation, not out of desire. Well, and, and, you know, I think you might be the only guy who has the same size arms as I do which I, I feel like we're kindred spirits in that way. There's there's very few things we pick up just to put back down and pick up again. Yeah. Now, I know you do do some strength training, but... I do. I do. And I've always been thin, and I've always had thin arms. Um, you know, I'm probably very blessed in some ways with good strength-to-weight ratio, yeah, well, if you got one muscle, it weighs more than the rest of your body. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I try to do some some strength and some core. Actually, I do quite a bit of, of core. core. Yeah, and you can't wear there's a crop some top without a core. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and there's some uh, work with kettlebell and and um, a curl bar that I do for arms. Mm-hmm. And that you know that mainly has to do with the fact that you run long enough in a race and everything does get tired, including your arms from holding them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I only at this point use handheld bottles 
And so that means you're also carrying that weight. Yeah, that 16 ounces gets pretty heavy after a while. You know. It does if you carry the big dog, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I can't just get by with 16 ounces of water. I take too long in between the aid stations, so the big dog i, I carry a I, try se- to, I try to stick with eight to ten yeah i carry a 70 70 ounce reservoir on my back okay i can tell you about the big dog so no clocks in the background of this episode so you probably couldn't even tell that time was flying by if you spend any amount of time with davin you'll notice how calm his demeanor is uh, all uh, always i'm guessing that uh my starting line heart rate is probably higher than what he hit during that ymca 10 miler dude's just cool as a cucumber uh you meant you heard davin mention his dad crewing him during races it is quite a sight to see and behold when davin says he can turn his brain off it is because he has absolute trust in his dad's advice dr oskvig is a solid crew captain If you'd like to hear him chat about his nutrition philosophy, you can check out his brief presentation at last year's Twisted Branch Volunteer Seminar, which is also linked in the show notes, or you can find it at twistedbranchgerald.com. All right, uh, it's time for an announcement. Ooh, a big announcement. Bigger than Beast Coast. Well, maybe not. The same as Beast Coast. Uh, It's been some time in the making. It's a big deal. Josh Stratton, LMT you know, licensed massage therapist, wants you to know about his new website, Brand Spankin'. That's right. You've heard the discount of website on previous podcasts for the last few months, and now you know why. This episode is sponsored by Josh Stratton, LMT, licensed massage therapist. Visit joshstrattonlmt.com. Find it in the show notes, you know, to uh, find Josh's available times and see some of his brand new package deals to book yourself a massage. You can go out there, see what times Josh has free. Just look at the calendar. And then you can look at the little box on the corner that has the new packages. And you can uh, pick one of those and pick a time and get yourself a pretty solid massage. Use the code LEGIT, L-E-G-I-T, when booking and get 15 bucks off an hour massage. So, what about Josh? Josh is a licensed massage therapist at Winton Place Inside Sports PT. He specializes in deep tissue massage for active athletes, and he can customize any treatment from sweetest massage all the way to custom treatments for your specific needs. Normally, I tell you all about my recent treatments with Josh, but to make a short story short, there have been a lot of them, and we don't have that much time left. So, Uh, Josh won't tell you either, you know, on account of that professional discretion, HIPAA and all that stuff. So I'll share more next time, I promise. But I've been seeing the guy a lot. I'm all fixed up. I'm ready to go. If you can't remember to visit joshstrattonlmt.com, you can find the link in the show notes. And that code again is legit for 15 bucks off an hour massage. So speaking of which, Go check out the show notes for links to some of the topics in the episode, like Davin's first appearance on the podcast, the aforementioned Beast Coast film. Really, it's pretty awesome. I'm, it, it's really good. Uh, so, and uh, you can check out my stunning Strava performance from that YMCA 10 miler, you know, the metronome. Uh, and uh, you can find information on Josh. 
And you can also find links to the Strava Run Group, which then would get you some information on the 2550K uh, podcast group run on April 9th that we mentioned. There's just a ton of stuff out there. And if you want to chat about this episode with other listeners or just simply share your stories, uh, drop a line on the Facebook page or shout at me on Twitter at Run Inside Out. Also consider joining our Running Inside Out Slack, where we talk about all manner of things from recent episodes to our latest greatest run. We'll also be probably talking a lot about the podcast run in the coming weeks. So if that sounds like your kind of place, check out the Strava group on the sidebar of the website for a link that will get you an invite. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.